part three of book two of on the nature of the gods by marcus tullius cicero translated by charles duke young this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards i will here says balbus looking at me make use of the verses which when you were young you translated from aratos and which because they are in latin gave me so much delight that i have many of them still in my memory as then we daily see without any change or variation quote, the rest swiftly pursue the course to which they're bound and with the heavens the days and nights go round Close quote. the contemplation of which to a mind desirous of observing the constancy of nature is inexhaustible quote, the extreme top of either point is called the pole Close quote. about this the two arctoi are turned which never set quote, of these the greeks one sinosura call the other heliki the brightest stars indeed of heliki are discernible all night quote, which are by us septentrionis called sinosura moves about the same pole with a like number of stars and ranged in the same order quote, this the phoenicians choose to make their guide when on the ocean in the night they ride adorned with stars of more refulgent light the other shines the first appears at night though this is small sailors its use have found more inward is its course and short its round the aspect of those stars is the more admirable because quote, the dragon grim between them bends his way as through the winding banks the currents stray and up and down in sinuous bending rolls his whole form is excellent but the shape of his head and the ardour of his eyes are most remarkable quote, various the stars which deck his glittering head his temples are with double glory spread from his fierce eyes to fervid lights afar flash and his chin shines with one radiant star bowed is his head and his round neck he bends and to the tail of heliki extends the rest of the dragon's body we see at every hour in the night Quote, here suddenly the head a little hides itself where all its parts which are in sight and those unseen in the same place unite near to this head quote, is placed the figure of a man that moves weary and sad quote, which the greeks quote, and gonases do call because he's born about with bended knee near him is placed the crown with a refulgent lustre graced this indeed is at his back but anguitenens the snake-holder is near his head 
quote, the Greeks him Ophiuchus call, renowned the name. He strongly grasps the serpent round with both his hands, himself the serpent folds beneath his breast, and round his middle holds, yet gravely he, bright shining in the skies, moves on and treads on Nepa's breast and eyes. The Septentrionis are followed by quote, Arctophylax, that said to be the same, which we Boötes call who has the name, because he drives the greater bear along, yoked to a wain. Besides, in Boötes, a star of glittering rays about his waist, Arcturus called a name renowned is placed, close quote, beneath which is quote, the virgin of illustrious form whose hand holds a bright spike. Close quote. And truly these signs are so regularly disposed that a divine wisdom evidently appears in them. Quote, Beneath the bear's head have the twins their seat, under his chest the crab, beneath his feet the mighty lion darts a trembling flame. Close quote. The charioteer. Quote, On the left side of Gemini we see, and at his head behold fierce Heliki. On his left shoulder the bright goat appears. Close quote but to proceed quote, this is indeed a great and glorious star on the other side the kids inferior far yield but a slender light to mortal eyes Close quote. under his feet quote, the horned bull with sturdy limbs is placed Close quote. his head is spangled with a number of stars quote, these by the Greeks are called the Hyades. Close quote. From reigning, for uin is to reign, therefore they are injudiciously called Suculi by our people, as if they had their name from us, a sow, and not from ua. Behind the lesser bear, Cepheus follows with extended hands. Quote, for close behind the lesser bear he comes. Close quote. Before him goes quote, Cassiopeia with a faintish light, but near her moves fair and illustrious sight, Andromeda, who, with an eager pace, seems to avoid her parents' mournful face. With glittering mane the horse now seems to tread, so near he comes on her refulgent head with a fair star that close to him appears, a double form and but one light he wears, by which he seems ambitious in the sky, an everlasting knot of stars to tie. Near him the ram with wreathed horns is placed. By whom quote, the fishes are, of which one seems to haste, somewhat before the other, to the blast of the north wind exposed. Perseus is described as placed at the feet of Andromeda. Quote, 
and him the sharp blasts of the north wind beat near his left knee but dim their light their seat the small pleiades maintain we find not far from them the lyre but slightly joined next is the winged bird that seems to fly beneath the spacious covering of the sky near the head of the horse lies the right hand of aquarius then all aquarius himself Quote, then capricorn with half the form of beast breathes chill and piercing colds from his strong breast and in a spacious circle takes his round when him while in the winter solstice bound the sun has visited with constant light he turns his course and shorter makes the night not far from hence is seen quote, the scorpion rising lofty from below by him the archer with his bended bow near him the bird with gaudy feathers spread and the fierce eagle hovers o'er his head next comes the dolphin quote, then bright orion who obliquely moves he is followed by quote, the fervent dog bright with refulgent stars next the hare follows quote, unwearied in his course at the dog's tail argo moves on and moving seems to sail o'er her the ram and fishes have their place the illustrious vessel touches in her pace the river's banks which you may see winding and extending itself to a great length quote, the fetters at the fish's tails are hung by nepa's head behold the altar stand which by the breath of southern winds is fanned near which the centaur quote, hastens his mingled parts to join beneath the serpent there extending his right hand to where you see the monstrous scorpion stand which he at the bright altar fiercely slays here on her lower parts see hydra raise herself quote, whose bulk is very far extended quote, amid the winding of her body is placed the shining goblet and the glossy crow plunges his beak into her parts below antecanis beneath the twins is seen called procyon by the greeks can any one in his senses imagine that this disposition of the stars and this heaven so beautifully adorned could ever have been formed by a fortuitous concourse of atoms or what other nature being destitute of intellect and reason could possibly have produced these effects which not only require reason to bring them about but the very character of which could not be understood and appreciated without the most strenuous exertions of well-directed reason but our admiration is not limited to the objects here described what is most wonderful is that the world is so durable and so perfectly made for lasting that it is not to be impaired by time for all its parts tend equally to the centre and are bound together by a sort of chain 
which surrounds the elements this chain is nature which being diffused through the universe and performing all things with judgment and reason attracts the extremities to the centre if then the world is round and if on that account all its parts being of equal dimensions and relative proportions mutually support and are supported by one another it must follow that as all the parts incline to the centre for that is the lowest place of a globe there is nothing whatever which can put a stop to that propensity in the case of such great weights for the same reason though the sea is higher than the earth yet because it has the like tendency it is collected everywhere equally concenters and never overflows and is never wasted the air which is contiguous ascends by its lightness but diffuses itself through the whole therefore it is by nature joined and united to the sea and at the same time borne by the same power towards the heaven by the thinness and heat of which it is so tempered as to be made proper to supply life and wholesome air for the support of animated beings this is encompassed by the highest region of the heavens which is called the sky which is joined to the extremity of the air but retains its own heat pure and unmixed the stars have their revolutions in the sky and are continued by the tendency of all parts towards the centre their duration is perpetuated by their form and figure for they are round which form as i think has been before observed is the least liable to injury and as they are composed of fire they are fed by the vapours which are exhaled by the sun from the earth the sea and other waters but when these vapours have nourished and refreshed the stars and the whole sky they are sent back to be exhaled again so that very little is lost or consumed by the fire of the stars and the flame of the sky hence we stoics conclude which panateos is said to have doubted of that the whole world at last would be consumed by a general conflagration when all moisture being exhausted neither the earth could have any nourishment nor the air return again since water of which it is formed would then be all consumed so that only fire would subsist and from this fire which is an animating power and a deity a new world would arise and be re-established in the same beauty i should be sorry to appear to you to dwell too long upon this subject of the stars and more especially upon that of the planets whose motions though different make a very just agreement saturn the highest chills mars placed in the middle burns while jupiter interposing moderates their excess both of light and heat the two planets beneath mars obey the sun the sun himself fills the whole universe with his own genial light and the moon illuminated by him influences conception birth and maturity and who is there who is not moved by this union of things and by this concurrence of nature agreeing together as it were for the safety of the world and yet i feel sure that none of these reflections have ever been made by these men let us proceed from celestial 
to terrestrial things what is there in them which does not prove the principle of an intelligent nature first as to vegetables they have roots to sustain their stems and to draw from the earth a nourishing moisture to support the vital principle which those roots contain they are clothed with a rind or bark to secure them more thoroughly from heat and cold the vines we see take hold on props with their tendrils as if with hands and raise themselves as if they were animated it is even said that they shun cabbages and colworts as noxious and pestilential to them and if planted by them will not touch any part but what a vast variety is there of animals and how wonderfully is every kind adapted to preserve itself some are covered with hides some clothed with fleeces and some guarded with bristles some are sheltered with feathers some with scales some are armed with horns and some are furnished with wings to escape from danger nature hath also liberally and plentifully provided for all animals their proper food i could expatiate on the judicious and curious formation and disposition of their bodies for the reception and digestion of it for all their interior parts are so framed and disposed that there is nothing superfluous nothing that is not necessary for the preservation of life besides nature has also given these beasts appetite and sense in order that by the one they may be excited to procure sufficient sustenance and by the other they may distinguish what is noxious from what is salutary some animals seek their food walking some creeping some flying and some swimming some take it with their mouth and teeth some seize it with their claws and some with their beaks some suck some graze some bolt it whole and some chew it some are so low that they can with ease take such food as is to be found on the ground but the taller as geese swans cranes and camels are assisted by a length of neck to the elephant is given a hand without which from his unwieldiness of body he would scarce have any means of attaining food but to those beasts which live by preying on others nature has given either strength or swiftness on some animals she has even bestowed artifice and cunning as on spiders some of which weave a sort of net to entrap and destroy whatever falls into it others sit on the watch unobserved to fall on their prey and devour it the nacar by the greeks called pinna has a kind of confederacy with the prawn for procuring food it has two large shells open into which when the little fishes swim the knacker having notice given by the bite of the prawn closes them immediately thus these little animals though of different kinds seek their food in common in which it is matter of wonder whether they associate by any agreement or are naturally joined together from their beginning there is some cause to admire also the provision of nature in the case of those aquatic animals which are generated on land such as crocodiles 
river tortoises and a certain kind of serpents which seek the water as soon as they are able to drag themselves along we frequently put duck eggs under hens by which as by their true mothers the ducklings are at first hatched and nourished but when they see the water they forsake them and run to it as to their natural abode so strong is the impression of nature in animals for their own preservation i have read that there is a bird called platylea the shoveller that lives by watching those fowls which dive into the sea for their prey and when they return with it he squeezes their heads with his beak till they drop it and then seizes on it himself it is said likewise that he is in the habit of filling his stomach with shellfish and when they are digested by the heat which exists in the stomach they cast them up and then pick out what is proper nourishment the sea frogs they say are wont to cover themselves with sand and moving near the water the fishes strike at them as at a bait and are themselves taken and devoured by the frogs between the kite and the crow there is a kind of natural war and wherever the one finds the eggs of the other he breaks them but who is there who can avoid being struck with the wonder at that which has been noticed by aristotle who has enriched us with so many valuable remarks when the cranes pass the sea in search of warmer climes they fly in the form of a triangle by the first angle they repel the resisting air on each side their wings serve as oars to facilitate their flight and the basis of their triangle is assisted by the wind in their stern those which are behind rest their necks and heads on those which precede and as the leader has not the same relief because he has none to lean upon he at length flies behind that he may also rest while one of those which have been eased succeeds him and through the whole flight each regularly takes his turn i could produce many instances of this kind but these may suffice let us now proceed to things more familiar to us the care of beasts for their own preservation their circumspection while feeding and their manner of taking rest in their lairs are generally known but still they are greatly to be admired dogs cure themselves by a vomit the egyptian ibis by a purge from whence physicians have lately i mean but few ages since greatly improved their art it is reported that panthers which in barbarous countries are taken with poisoned flesh have a certain remedy that preserves them from dying and that in crete the wild goats when they are wounded with poisoned arrows seek for an herb called dittany which when they have tasted the arrows they say drop from their bodies it is said also that deer before they fawn purge themselves with a little herb called hartswort beasts when they receive any hurt or fear it have recourse to their natural arms the bull to his horns the boar to his tusks and the lion to his teeth some take to flight others hide themselves the cuttlefish vomits blood the crampfish benumbs and there are many animals that by their intolerable stink 
obliged their pursuers to retire but that the beauty of the world might be eternal great care has been taken by the providence of the gods to perpetuate the different kinds of animals and vegetables and trees and all those things which sink deep into the earth and are contained in it by their roots and trunks in order to which every individual has within itself such fertile seed that many are generated from one and in vegetables this seed is enclosed in the heart of their fruit but in such abundance that men may plentifully feed on it and the earth be always replanted with regard to animals do we not see how aptly they are formed for the propagation of their species nature for this end created some males and some females their parts are perfectly framed for generation and they have a wonderful propensity to copulation when the seed has fallen on the matrix it draws almost all the nourishment to itself by which the fetus is formed but as soon as it is discharged from thence if it is an animal that is nourished by milk almost all the food of the mother turns into milk and the animal without any direction but by the pure instinct of nature immediately hunts for the teat and is there fed with plenty what makes it evidently appear that there is nothing in this fortuitous but the work of a wise and foreseeing nature is that those females which bring forth many young as sows and bitches have many teats and those which bear a small number have but few what tenderness do beasts show in preserving and raising up their young till they are able to defend themselves they say indeed that fish when they have spawned leave their eggs but the water easily supports them and produces the young fry in abundance it is said likewise that tortoises and crocodiles when they have laid their eggs on the land only cover them with earth and then leave them so that their young are hatched and brought up without assistance but fowls and other birds seek for quiet places to lay in where they build their nests in the softest manner for the surest preservation of their eggs which when they have hatched they defend from the cold by the warmth of their wings or screen them from the sultry heat of the sun when their young begin to be able to use their wings they attend and instruct them and then their cares are at an end human art and industry are indeed necessary towards the preservation and improvement of certain animals and vegetables for there are several of both kinds which would perish without that assistance there are likewise innumerable facilities being different in different places supplied to man to aid him in his civilization and in procuring abundantly what he requires the nile waters egypt and after having overflowed and covered it the whole summer it retires and leaves the field softened and manured for the reception of seed the euphrates fertilizes mesopotamia into which as we may say it carries yearly new fields the indus which is the largest of all rivers not only improves and cultivates the ground but sows it also for it is said to carry with it a great quantity of grain 
i could mention many other countries remarkable for something singular and many fields which are in their own natures exceedingly fertile but how bountiful is nature that has provided for us such an abundance of various and delicious food and this varying with the different seasons so that we may be constantly pleased with change and satisfied with abundance how seasonable and useful to man to beasts and even to vegetables are the etesian winds she has bestowed which moderate in temperate heat and render navigation more sure and speedy many things must be omitted on a subject so copious and still a great deal must be said for it is impossible to relate the great utility of rivers the flux and reflux of the sea the mountains clothed with grass and trees the salt pits remote from the sea coasts the earth replete with salutary medicines or in short the innumerable designs of nature necessary for sustenance and the enjoyment of life we must not forget the vicissitudes of day and night ordained for the health of animated beings giving them a time to labor and a time to rest thus if we every way examine the universe it is apparent from the greatest reason that the whole is admirably governed by a divine providence for the safety and preservation of all beings if it should be asked for whose sake this mighty fabric was raised shall we say for trees and other vegetables which though destitute of sense are supported by nature that would be absurd is it for beasts nothing can be less probable than that the gods should have taken such pains for beings void of speech and understanding for whom then will any one presume to say that the world was made undoubtedly for reasonable beings these are the gods and men who are certainly the most perfect of all beings as nothing is equal to reason it is therefore credible that the universe and all things in it were made for the gods and for men but we may yet more easily comprehend that the gods have taken great care of the interests and welfare of men if we examine thoroughly into the structure of the body and the form and perfection of human nature there are three things absolutely necessary for the support of life to eat to drink and to breathe for these operations the mouth is most aptly framed which by the assistance of the nostrils draws in the more air the teeth are there placed to divide and grind the food the four teeth being sharp and opposite to each other cut it asunder and the hind teeth called the grinders chew it in which office the tongue seems to assist at the root of the tongue is the gullet which receives whatever is swallowed it touches the tonsils on each side and terminates at the interior extremity of the palate when by the motions of the tongue the food is forced into this passage it descends and those parts of the gullet which are below it are dilated and those above are contracted there is another passage called by physicians the rough artery which reaches to the lungs for the entrance and return of the air we breathe and 
as its orifice is joined to the roots of the tongue a little above the part to which the gullet is annexed it is furnished with a sort of cover-lid lest by the accidental falling of any food into it the respiration should be stopped as the stomach which is beneath the gullet receives the meat and drink so the lungs and the heart draw in the air from without the stomach is wonderfully composed consisting almost wholly of nerves it abounds with membranes and fibres and detains what it receives whether solid or liquid till it is altered and digested it sometimes contracts sometimes dilates it blends and mixes the food together so that it is easily concocted and digested by its force of heat and by the animal spirits is distributed into the other parts of the body as to the lungs they are of a soft and spongy substance which renders them the most commodious for respiration they alternately dilate and contract to receive and return the air that what is the chief animal sustenance may be always fresh the juice by which we are nourished being separated from the rest of the food passes the stomach and intestines to the liver through open and direct passages which lead from the mesentery to the gates of the liver for so they call those vessels at the entrance of it there are other passages from thence through which the food has its course when it has passed the liver when the bile and those humours which proceed from the kidneys are separated from the food the remaining part turns to blood and flows to those vessels at the entrance of the liver to which all the passages adjoin the chyle being conveyed from this place through them into the vessel called the hollow vein is mixed together and being already digested and distilled passes into the heart and from the heart it is communicated through a great number of veins to every part of the body it is not difficult to describe how the gross remains are detruded by the motion of the intestines which contract and dilate but that must be declined as too indelicate for discourse let us rather explain that other wonder of nature the air which is drawn into the lungs receives heat both by that already in and by the coagitation of the lungs one part is turned back by respiration and the other is received into a place called the ventricle of the heart there is another ventricle like it annexed to the heart into which the blood flows from the liver through the hollow vein thus by one ventricle the blood is diffused to the extremities through the veins and by the other the breath is communicated through the arteries and there are such numbers of both dispersed through the whole body that they manifest a divine art why need i speak of the bones those supports of the body whose joints are so wonderfully contrived for stability and to render the limbs complete with regard to motion and to every action of the body or need i mention the nerves by which the limbs are governed their many interweavings and their proceeding from the heart from whence like the veins and arteries they have their origin and are distributed through the whole corporeal frame to this skill of nature and this care of providence so diligent and so ingenious many reflections may be added 
which show what valuable things the deity has bestowed on man he has made us of a stature tall and upright in order that we might behold the heavens and so arrive at the knowledge of the gods for men are not simply to dwell here as inhabitants of the earth but to be as it were spectators of the heavens and the stars which is a privilege not granted to any other kind of animated beings the senses which are the interpreters and messengers of things are placed in the head as in a tower and wonderfully situated for their proper uses for the eyes being in the highest part have the office of sentinels in discovering to us objects and the ears are conveniently placed in a high part of the person being appointed to receive sound which naturally ascends the nostrils have the like situation because all scent likewise ascends and they have with great reason a near vicinity to the mouth because they assist us in judging of meat and drink the taste which is to distinguish the quality of what we take is in that part of the mouth where nature has laid open a passage for what we eat and drink but the touch is equally diffused through the whole body that we may not receive any blows or the too rigid attacks of cold and heat without feeling them and as in building the architect averts from the eyes and nose of the master those things which must necessarily be offensive so has nature removed far from our senses what is of the same kind in the human body what artificer but nature whose direction is incomparable could have exhibited so much ingenuity in the formation of the senses in the first place she has covered and invested the eyes with the finest membranes which she hath made transparent that we may see through them and firm in their texture to preserve the eyes she has made them slippery and movable that they might avoid what would offend them and easily direct the sight wherever they will the actual organ of sight which is called the pupil is so small that it can easily shun whatever might be hurtful to it the eyelids which are their coverings are soft and smooth that they may not injure the eyes and are made to shut at the apprehension of any accident or to open at pleasure and these movements nature has ordained to be made in an instant they are fortified with a sort of palisade of hairs to keep off what may be noxious to them when open and to be a fence to their repose when sleep closes them and allows them to rest as if they were wrapped up in a case besides they are commodiously hidden and defended by eminences on every side for on the upper part the eyebrows turn aside the perspiration which falls from the head and forehead the cheeks beneath rise a little so as to protect them on the lower side and the nose is placed between them as a wall of separation the hearing is always open for that is a sense of which we are in need even while we are sleeping and the moment that any sound is admitted by it we are awakened even from sleep it has a winding passage lest anything should slip into it as it might if it were straight and simple nature also hath taken the same precaution in making there a viscous humour 
that if any little creatures should endeavour to creep in, they might stick in it as in bird-lime. The ears, by which we mean the outward part, are made prominent to cover and preserve the hearing, lest the sound should be dissipated and escape before the sense is affected. Their entrances are hard and horny, and their form winding, because bodies of this kind better return and increase the sound. This appears in the harp, lute, or horn, and from all tortuous and enclosed places sounds are returned stronger. The nostrils in like manner are ever open because we have a continual use for them, and their entrances also are rather narrow lest anything noxious should enter them, and they have always a humidity necessary for the repelling dust in many other extraneous bodies. The taste, having the mouth for an enclosure, is admirably situated both in regard to the use we make of it and to its security. Besides, every human sense is much more exquisite than those of brutes, for our eyes, in those arts which come under their judgment, distinguish with great nicety, as in painting, sculpture, engraving, and in the gesture and motion of bodies. They understand the beauty, proportion, and, as I may so term it, the becomingness of colours and figures. They distinguish things of greater importance, even virtues and vices. They know whether a man is angry or calm, cheerful or sad, courageous or cowardly, bold or timorous. The judgment of the ears is not less admirably and scientifically contrived with regard to vocal and instrumental music. They distinguish the variety of sounds, the measure, the stops, the different sorts of voices, the treble and the bass, the soft and the harsh, the sharp and the flat, of which human ears only are capable to judge. There is likewise great judgment in the smell, the taste and the touch, to indulge and gratify which senses more arts have been invented than I could wish. It is apparent to what excess we have arrived in the composition of our perfumes, the preparation of our food, and the enjoyment of corporeal pleasures. Again, he who does not perceive the soul and mind of man, his reason, prudence, and discernment, to be the work of a divine providence, seems himself to be destitute of those faculties. While I am on this subject, Cota, I wish I had your eloquence. How would you illustrate so fine a subject? You would show the great extent of the understanding, how we collect our ideas and join those which follow to those which precede, establish principles, draw consequences, define things separately, and comprehend them with accuracy, from whence you demonstrate how great is the power of intelligence and knowledge, which is such that even God himself has no qualities more admirable. How valuable, though you academics despise and even deny that we have it, is our knowledge of exterior objects, from the perception of the senses joined to the application of the mind, by which we see in what relation one thing stands to another, and 
by the aid of which we have invented those arts which are necessary for the support and pleasure of life how charming is eloquence how divine that mistress of the universe as you call it it teaches us what we were ignorant of and makes us capable of teaching what we have learned by this we exhort others by this we persuade them by this we comfort the afflicted by this we deliver the affrighted from their fear by this we moderate excessive joy by this we assuage the passions of lust and anger this it is which bound men by the chains of right and law formed the bonds of civil society and made us quit a wild and savage life and it will appear incredible unless you carefully observe the facts how complete the work of nature is in giving us the use of speech for first of all there is an artery from the lungs to the bottom of the mouth through which the voice having its original principle in the mind is transmitted then the tongue is placed in the mouth bounded by the teeth it softens and modulates the voice which would otherwise be confusedly uttered and by pushing it to the teeth and other parts of the mouth makes the sound distinct and articulate we stoics therefore compare the tongue to the bow of an instrument the teeth to the strings and the nostrils to the sounding-board but how commodious are the hands which nature has given to man and how beautifully do they minister to many arts for such is the flexibility of the joints that our fingers are closed and opened without any difficulty with their help the hand is formed for painting carving and engraving for playing on stringed instruments and on the pipe these are matters of pleasure there are also works of necessity such as tilling the ground building houses making cloth and habits and working in brass and iron it is the business of the mind to invent the senses to perceive and the hands to execute so that if we have buildings if we are clothed if we live in safety if we have cities walls habitations and temples it is to the hands we owe them by our labor that is by our hands variety and plenty of food are provided for without culture many fruits which serve either for present or future consumption would not be produced besides we feed on flesh fish and fowl catching some and bringing up others we subdue four-footed beasts for our carriage whose speed and strength supply our slowness and inability on some we put burdens on others yokes we convert the sagacity of the elephant and the quick scent of the dog to our own advantage out of the caverns of the earth we dig iron a thing entirely necessary for the cultivation of the ground we discover the hidden veins of copper silver and gold advantageous for our use and beautiful as ornaments we cut down trees and use every kind of wild and cultivated timber not only to make fire to warm us and dress our meat but also for building that we may have houses to defend us from the heat and cold with timber likewise we build ships which bring us from all parts every commodity of life 
we are the only animals who from our knowledge of navigation can manage what nature has made the most violent the sea and the winds thus we obtain from the ocean great numbers of profitable things we are the absolute masters of what the earth produces we enjoy the mountains and the plains the rivers and the lakes are ours we sow the seed and plant the trees we fertilize the earth by overflowing it we stop direct and turn the rivers in short by our hands we endeavor by our various operations in this world to make as it were another nature but what shall i say of human reason has it not even entered the heavens man alone of all animals has observed the courses of the stars their risings and settings by man the day the month the year is determined he foresees the eclipses of the sun and moon and foretells them to futurity marking their greatness duration and precise time from the contemplation of these things the mind extracts the knowledge of the gods a knowledge which produces piety with which is connected justice and all the other virtues from which arises a life of felicity inferior to that of the gods in no single particular except in immortality which is not absolutely necessary to happy living in explaining these things i think that i have sufficiently demonstrated the superiority of man to other animated beings from whence we should infer that neither the form and position of his limbs nor that strength of mind and understanding could possibly be the effect of chance i am now to prove by way of conclusion that everything in this world of use to us was made designedly for us first of all the universe was made for the gods and men and all things therein were prepared and provided for our service for the world is the common habitation or city of the gods and men for they are the only reasonable beings they alone live by justice and law as therefore it must be presumed the cities of athens and lacedaemon were built for the athenians and lacedaemonians and as everything there is said to belong to those people so everything in the universe may with propriety be said to belong to the gods and men and to them alone in the next place though the revolutions of the sun moon and all the stars are necessary for the cohesion of the universe yet may they be considered also as objects designed for the view and contemplation of man there is no sight less apt to satiate the eye none more beautiful or more worthy to employ our reason and penetration by measuring their courses we find the different seasons their durations and vicissitudes which if they are known to men alone we must believe were made only for their sake does the earth bring forth fruit and grain in such excessive abundance and variety for men or for brutes the plentiful and exhilarating fruit of the vine and the olive tree are entirely useless to beasts they know not the time for sowing tilling or for reaping in season and gathering in the fruits of the earth or for laying up and preserving their stores 
man alone has the care and advantage of these things thus as the lute and the pipe were made for those and those only who are capable of playing on them so it must be allowed that the produce of the earth was designed for those only who make use of them and though some beasts may rob us of a small part it does not follow that the earth produced it also for them men do not store up corn for mice and ants but for their wives their children and their families beasts therefore as i said before possess it by stealth but their masters openly and freely it is for us therefore that nature hath provided this abundance can there be any doubt that this plenty and variety of fruit which delight not only the taste but the smell and sight was by nature intended for man only beasts are so far from being partakers of this design that we see that even they themselves were made for man for of what utility would sheep be unless for their wool which when dressed and woven serves us for clothing for they are not capable of anything not even of procuring their own food without the care and assistance of man the fidelity of the dog his affectionate fawning on his master his aversion to strangers his sagacity in finding game and his vivacity in pursuit of it what do these qualities denote but that he was created for our use why need i mention oxen we perceive that their backs were not formed for carrying burdens but their necks were naturally made for the yoke and their strong broad shoulders to draw the plough in the golden age which poets speak of they were so greatly beneficial to the husbandman in tilling the fallow ground that no violence was ever offered them and it was even thought a crime to eat them Quote, the iron age began the fatal trade of blood and hammered the destructive blade then men began to make the ox to bleed and on the tamed and docile beast to feed it would take a long time to relate the advantages which we receive from mules and asses which undoubtedly were designed for our use what is the swine good for but to eat whose life chrysippus says was given it but as salt to keep it from putrefying and as it is proper food for man nature hath made no animal more fruitful what a multitude of birds and fishes are taken by the art and contrivance of man only and which are so delicious to our taste that one would be tempted sometimes to believe that this providence which watches over us was an epicurean though we think there are some birds the alites and ossins as our augurs call them which were made merely to foretell events the large savage beasts we take by hunting partly for food partly to exercise ourselves in imitation of martial discipline and to use those we can tame and instruct as elephants or to extract remedies for our diseases and wounds as we do from certain roots and herbs the virtues of which are known by long use and experience represent to yourself the whole earth and seas as if before your eyes you will see the vast and fertile plains 
the thick shady mountains the immense pasturage for cattle and ships sailing over the deep with incredible celerity nor are our discoveries only on the face of the earth but in its secret recesses there are many useful things which being made for man by man alone are discovered another and in my opinion the strongest proof that the providence of the gods takes care of us is divination which both of you perhaps will attack you cotta because carneades took pleasure in inveighing against the stoics and you Velleius, because there is nothing epicurus ridicules so much as the prediction of events yet the truth of divination appears in many places on many occasions often in private but particularly in public concerns we receive many intimations from the foresight and presages of augurs and auspices from oracles prophecies dreams and prodigies and it often happens that by these means events have proved happy to men and imminent dangers have been avoided this knowledge therefore call it either a kind of transport or an art or a natural faculty is certainly found only in men and is a gift from the immortal gods if these proofs when taken separately should make no impression upon your mind yet when collected together they must certainly affect you besides the gods not only provide for mankind universally but for particular men you may bring the universality to gradually a smaller number and again you may reduce that smaller number to individuals for if the reasons which i have given prove to all of us that the gods take care of all men in every country in every part of the world separate from our continent they take care of those who dwell on the same land with us from east to west and if they regard those who inhabit this kind of great island which we call the globe of the earth they have the like regard for those who possess the parts of this island europe asia and africa and therefore they favour the parts of these parts as rome athens sparta and rhodes and particular men of these cities separate from the whole as curius fabricius curuncanius in the war with pyrrhus in the first punic war calatinus duilius metellus lutatius in the second maximus marcellus africanus after these paulus gracchus cato and in our fathers times scipio lilius rome also and greece have produced many illustrious men who we cannot believe were so without the assistance of the deity which is the reason that the poets homer in particular joined their chief heroes ulysses agamemnon diomedes achilles to certain deities as companions in their adventures and dangers besides the frequent appearances of the gods as i have before mentioned demonstrate their regard for cities and particular men this is also apparent indeed from the foreknowledge of events which we receive either sleeping or waking 
we are likewise forewarned of many things by the entrails of victims by presages and many other means which have been long observed with such exactness as to produce an art of divination there never therefore was a great man without divine inspiration if a storm should damage the corn or vineyard of a person or any accident should deprive him of some conveniences of life we should not judge from thence that the deity hates or neglects him the gods take care of great things and disregard the small but to truly great men all things ever happen prosperously as has been sufficiently asserted and proved by us stoics as well as by socrates the prince of philosophers in his discourses on the infinite advantages arising from virtue this is almost the whole that hath occurred to my mind on the nature of the gods and what i thought proper to advance do you cotta if i may advise defend the same cause remember that in rome you keep the first rank remember that you are pontifex and as your school is at liberty to argue on which side you please do you rather take mine and reason on it with that eloquence which you acquired by your rhetorical exercises and which the academy improved for it is a pernicious and impious custom to argue against the gods whether it be done seriously or only in pretense and out of sport End of book two recording in memory of mitchell edwards